Coming up on the Matt Townsend Show, I'm going to host for him today while he's on vacation in San Diego. We're going to talk about, of all the things that could go wrong, what would be the worst? What are your biggest fears? And how about, are you afraid of failure? All that and more on the Matt Townsend Show next. This is Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. The man responsible for leaking top-secret NSA surveillance practices told The Guardian he does not expect to go home now. Edward Snowden has gone into hiding in Hong Kong as public outcry over spying on U.S. citizens continues to mount. Democratic Newark Mayor Cory Booker has a strong lead in the race to fill New Jersey's now vacant Senate seat after Senator Frank Lautenberg's death. More than half of those polled say they have a favorable opinion of Booker. George Zimmerman's murder trial is set to begin today over a year after he claims to have shot teen Trayvon Martin in self-defense. The high-profile case has already attracted protesters outside the courthouse. In Philadelphia, district attorneys announced plans today to convene a grand jury to investigate the extent of responsibility for a building collapse last week, which killed six and injured 13 more. A radically different pay scale is being tested in a wealthy Colorado school district. With the new plan, different categories of educators would have varying salary caps, meaning a third-grade teacher will never be able to make the same as a high school math teacher. In world news, a large apartment building in Mumbai collapsed today, leaving at least 20 people trapped beneath the rubble. This latest disaster comes just two months after another building collapse, which took 74 lives. U.S. officials say they a decision could come as early as this week on whether or not to armed Syrian rebels. Secretary of State John Kerry even put off a Middle East trip to attend meetings on the subject. A dam burst in eastern Europe caused over 20,000 people to flee today in Germany and Hungary. Waters were reportedly receding near the end of the day, but residents are still not being allowed to return to their homes. That's the news to the top of the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm filling in for Matt while he's on vacation in sunny San Diego where he can see the ocean. And we're here in the studio where we cannot. I'm Kim Power Stilson, and we're going to be talking about fear today, fear of failure, fear of success, and those things that uh, creep in the night. We've got uh, with us here the Matt Townsend team. We've got Merritt and Bryce, Ben and Skyler here, and uh, we're going to talk to Dr. Susan Babel about uh, from psychology today about her fears how we can face them but to start let's talk about fear we all have some basic fears um i mean the top fears i i looked it up before the show and the top fears merit you were you looked it up too the top fears people have top fears um can we guess first yeah we should i say spiders i i say public speaking i always hear that's like everyone's worst one not exactly on my list. The one that's on my list is a fear of social situations. So different social phobias, I guess that counts. So you're on my list. That's I'm going to count that for myself. I'm going to yeah, I'm going to count that. Counts. You get like half a point, yeah. three quarters. <laughs> so fear of social situations. What does small talk fall in there? Yeah. <laughs> I would hope so because that's like because I hate that. No. I'm surprised that you would hate that being on radio and all. <laughs> like like uh, on the bus or or in Whether. the elevator on my way to work today. <laughs> so I got in there and was like. How are things? I was like, oh, I'm only going one floor and I already hate this. <laughs> yeah, I walked into the conference room today. I was like, how about that hot weather? And Bryce is like, don't talk to me about the weather. I hate small I don't want to hear it. Okay. I don't want to hear it. 
Well, what do you want to talk about, Shakespeare? I want to talk about <laughs> I want to talk about something deep and something meaningful. And if we're just going to be like, how is stuff and stuff? That's <laughs> silence. I think that's better than talking about nothing. You know, um, I spend a lot of time in Ireland, and in Ireland, they make fun of Americans all the time. So I'll go see my family. They'll say, "Hi, how are you? Hi, how are you?" And then they don't answer back because they say Americans do that all the time and never listen to the response. So that is a social – that's what Absolutely you're talking about. Absolutely yeah. accurate. Totally. I think on my end, it's more that I'm like terrified of what to say next. So I'm like trying to figure out well, what I'm doing. Well, that's because small talk generally consists of saying something that you can't actually say something back to. So it's like, weather's well, really nice today. And it's like you can't add anything to that. If it is nice, you can say – Yep. I mean, like, I could contradict it, but I don't like, like, no, it's bad. It's bad, and you're wrong. Like, kind of killed the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. You you won't be riding on the elevator anymore. Exactly. With that protection, right? Stairs from now on. So I I would think social, uh, you know, Bryce aside, right? I, I would think people would be more afraid of things that could kill you, which social situations probably couldn't kill you. No, they normally, saying, not lethal. Saying, yeah, nice weather today in the elevator is probably not going to, you know. Yeah. But it's a lot more common. I mean, here in privileged, Clearly privileged lives we leave. Great, live. well prioritized. Yeah. Okay, so what about fears like creepy crawly fears? Arachnophobia, fear of spiders, that's on there, okay. on my list. Like Same Indiana with, Jones. Is fear there of any- snakes. Okay. Yep. Um, here's, here's one that I think. The fear of the situations in which escape is difficult. So that would be crowds yeah. and or claustrophobia. Elevators. Yep. Maybe that's what's wrong with mm. Bryce. <laughs> Maybe it's maybe it's I'm feeling socially trapped. <laughs> maybe that's maybe you're what it afraid is. of elevators. Maybe I've been stuck in a lot. No lie, I keep getting stuck in elevators. I do too. I was in New York in October, and I was stuck in an elevator for about an hour. And they were rattling, and I could hear that the guy left the monitor on, you know, like the speaker. And I hear him saying, Joe, I can't fix this. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> Mute then, that. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> and then he's like, I told them that we should pay the money to get this fixed, you know, <laughs> on and on. And I'm sitting there, you know, sweat pouring down my face. I look around the people around me. They're all like ashen face, big eyes, like, right? There's a range of people in there. We're done for. <laughs> it's, the, it, it's rattling. We're at about the 27th floor, which isn't that high. But if you're falling down an elevator, it's kind of high. It's far enough. Yeah. It's far enough. I've never been stuck in an elevator, but I'll admit every time we have an elevator here at work, uh, which I use most days, and um, anytime I'm in an elevator anywhere, you have fear of there's there no there's this yeah well yeah <laughs> fear of fear of exercise really. Uh, every time I get in an elevator, there's like that half second thought where I have that thing of as it's going up, what if this got stuck? What would I do? I think that every time I'm in an elevator, I don't know if I'm scared of it, but it's definitely something I think of like. Every single time for just one second, it passes through my mind for sure. So that fear of being trapped in this space, that's that's good. Yeah. I know that, um, you know, I once got stuck in a cave and they have a whole movie about that, right? Where Several, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and then the water comes rushing in and that's another fear. Yeah. No, I have that fear of the deep ocean. And I think we've even talked about this on the show before. But the, the fear of like being out in the deep ocean and sharks and giant squid and all kinds of things that George Lucas couldn't even come up with in his mind, like horrible monsters that live like in the Jules ocean. Like Jules Verne type of yeah, scary just, monsters. And just it goes on down forever. You know, I and like I know um, recently uh, James Cameron like broke the record for going deepest in the ocean in like a submarine, like a little submarine. And I just thought that was the most horrifying thing I could think of, like being trapped in this little submarine for like eight hours, just going down into the ocean. And what if he had to talk to someone while he was there, too? 
What if he had to talk to yeah, someone? Well, as, as long as it wasn't about the weather, he would have been all right. What if they stuck him with someone who he didn't know, <laughs> and that guy had no idea who James Cameron was? And then they asked him to do public speaking. Yeah, terrifying. <laughs> he had to broadcast like the he had internet to Skype or out yeah. of there. Awful. <laughs> well, I mean, we're laughing, but these are real fears. People really have fears. Where what are what about fears? Like, what are the kind of um, responses you get physically, physiologically to fear. I think that'd be fun to talk about. I feel like I shut down. If we're going back to fear of social situations, like I hate being in big groups when there are like multiple conversations going on at the same time because I can't seem to divide my focus between those conversations. So instead I listen to like about a third of like all three conversations and can't understand anything that's going on. It's pretty great. But yeah, (laughs) shut down. That would be my reaction is like just stop talking, sit in the corner. And I don't know if smartphones have facilitated my problem with that kind of thing (laughs) but like before you had them what did you do did you just sit there lonely Mm -hmm. skulking but like with a smartphone it's like well i don't have anything to contribute to any of these conversations i'm gonna pull up my phone until i find something more interesting (laughs) to do yeah i don't know if that's good but it's better (laughs) i do that all the time first i i going back to the social situations like i have that thing when i go into like a party um, if there's a lot of people, like it, maybe it's back to the small talk thing, but I hate mingling. Like that sense of I'm having a conversation just to have a conversation with you. Like I'm having a fake interaction. Like that really drives me crazy. So most of the time I just end up sitting in the corner and tweeting about how I don't like where I'm at. <laughs> so, you know, and when I was a kid, unlike you guys, we actually had to talk to people. <laughs> And we weren't afraid of it. Yeah, it's a know. glorious time to be alive <laughs> right now. This is like why I always have my iPod with me. You, if you put in your headphones, you don't have to talk to people while you're walking around campus. It's like an unwritten, yeah. right? They just yeah, really, socially you, you don't. don't have to talk, which it's been scary for me. My iPod broke so the past few days. Oh, I've been like panicked. But you, I love walking past people now that I don't have my iPod, you know, with my headphones, my ears. People who will see me and pull out their phones as fast as they possibly can and start looking down just so that they don't have to like do that awkward we're walking past yeah. each other and are we you don't exaggerating know or are you serious i'm really no, serious I, was gonna, I, that's, I do Ouch. that all the time when i'm walking and i see someone i know that i don't want to talk to i pull up my phone even phone. if i don't have to text i pretend like i'm texting someone so did I don't that have to, to me last week it's <laughs> <laughs> not true <laughs> I, a few a few like a year or two ago i had a creative writing class i took at byu and one of the assignments was to uh, go around campus eavesdropping on people's conversations and then write a short story that integrated things you heard people talk, like integrate snippets of dialogue you heard people saying. And it was really enlightening because most of the time I do what Mare does and walks around, walk around with my headphones on. Uh, it was really enlightening to hear what people were talking about. So enlightening that I decided that after that experiment, I was going to keep walking around with my headphones on because people talk about really boring things on campus. <laughs> so there was, I did not learn anything really that interesting. <laughs> what did you get on the paper? Oh, I think actually it was probably the best thing I wrote for that class, actually. <laughs> I think that's fascinating. It, it was about it was about a um, it was about a, a couple, and the girl said really boring things to the guy because that's what I kept hearing were people like having boring conversations. So I just had it was like from my point of view, if my girlfriend was just saying boring things to me, that was it, and how the relationship wasn't going to work out. It was really quite deep, actually. Anonymous, right? I didn't, you didn't put their names in. Uh, no, I didn't post it on the internet or anything. Because they would be fearful of reading that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you, do you fear being boring? Then would you say that that's that's the problem, the basis, the root of it? I would say probably. Silence. Probably that would I be the on. nicest thing in the world to be boring. I mean, you know, being impressive is great and all, 
but if I could just like live in the cab in a cabin up in the mountains in the middle of nowhere and like not see anyone for years at a time, this I, is how horror movies start. By the way, <laughs> are you married? Not yet. Okay, I'm worried about you. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't you know. Why? Boring sounds nice. Exciting lives are usually eventful for not the best reasons. So you fear the events, the things unexpected, perhaps. Oh, absolutely. So, um, of course, you know, looking up things in the dictionary, I don't know if people do that anymore, but fear that says that it's an unpleasant emotion. I thought that was interesting. Caused by the belief, belief that someone or something is dangerous or likely to cause pain or threat. They don't say, oh, uncom- discomfort. <laughs> Mildly. Um, Irritated. Irritated, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. That's, I mean, it is something that's a little more serious than that. But some people do have those kind of reactions, right? I mean, people actually turn, get hives or, you know, start oh, sweating or start I, shaking. I, have, I get that nausea when I'm like in you know, fear of something. I get like kind of like sick. I think that's why I get seasick going back to my fear of the ocean because of like I think it triggers something. I don't know if it's physical because I don't get any other kind of motion sickness, but I get really seasick. And I think that maybe is part of it. It's a physiological response to psychological fear. So where are there places that you really get scared? I mean, where you're really fearful, where you actually have, you know, just not like, oh, I wish I brought my earphones, but, you know, places where you really get frightened, like, where, you know, like ghosts or, you know, whatever. Uh, rock shows. <laughs> For some reason... In no, I'm serious. Stick with me on this. So I don't, I don't know why. I've lived in a few states. I've been to rock shows in a few states. Okay, and so by rock shows you mean displays of rocks? No, no, no. (laughs) Okay, what? No, like like a rock concert. Okay. Um, And so when you get into a crowd of you know two thousand, three thousand people, and the people will do their mosh pits and stuff, and then you know it creates this weird sort of organism. The crowd turns into like its own, and so it'll like expand and contract and move forward and move backwards. And when you have like three thousand people doing that, I can be crushed easily compared to three thousand people. And people panic really quickly. People turn into like angry cows really fast at a rock show, just moving around, running around. It's true. That's and and people have been trampled and killed. Yes, at rock shows, rock concerts. That's what I said my, my day. If I went out shopping on Black Friday, that's the same reason I'd be I'd be scared oh, on Black Friday. The whole Friday. mob mentality is terrifying. I think yeah. just the the idea that people lose kind of their common sense and become part of like like you said this big like an thing. uncontrollable yeah. group consciousness. Like yeah. we just won the World Series, let's burn the city down. Like <laughs> perfect sense. So perfect. so we were in New York, and my daughter, my my girl's first visit to New York, they were like seven and eleven, and we came up out of the subway just as the subway exit across was coming into Times Square. So there must have been thousands of people emerging as almost as if they were a unit out of the subway. And came, they came toward us from across the street, rushing to get into this subway to the next train, right, that takes them upstate. And my daughter, her first, I mean, we live here, her first visit to New York. So she grabs a hold of my leg and she was screaming. I mean, she started screaming because these people came on, you know, she, I, I live, I live, I work there. I was used to it. And you just find your way to work through the crowd. But she was screaming it ever since then. She's been terrified of those people coming at her, she thought she'd be trampled. When I was little, my mom read me A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline Langle. And it was one of my favorite books, but there's this part in the book where they go to this planet where a giant brain controls everybody on the planet. The brain is called It, and it's super scary, probably because I read it when I was like five, but it's terrified <laughs> me ever since. Everybody's shaking their yeah, head. But there's like, 
this part where they are going through this neighborhood and all the kids come out and are bouncing the ball exactly at the same time in rhythm because they can't control anything else that they do. So I would say just kind of that loss of control for me. Like the minute I can't control something that I do, it's like dentists terrify me. And I think it's because I can't control what's happening in this situation because I'm strapped to a chair with my mouth where you can My dad's a dentist. (laughs) They scare me. I'm sorry. A lot of dentists have problems where they need to go to counseling because so many people are afraid of them that they do lose a sense of confidence or a sense of self. I've read several articles about that. Interesting. Because I am afraid of the dentist, but... Yeah, now I feel bad, but... <laughs> no, no. Sorry, yeah. for, sorry no, Dad. He's, he's a scary guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, then that's probably why he chose to there be a dentist. Go, yeah. <laughs> so, any other fears? I am absolutely terrified of not having an escape plan. Mm. From like, the elevator. Well, yeah, from, that's a good example. But, I mean, uh, you know, in general, like, painting myself into a corner. Like, just use that metaphor for everything in my life. Yeah, like, on a related note, I think I have a fear of, and this maybe stems from, like, some kind of fear of commitment. I don't know. But um, we talked a little bit about fear, or we mentioned fear of success. And I have this fear of being so successful at something that I'm trapped in it. Like, of being so, like, succeeding at, like, a career to the point of where I can't do something else. Does that make sense? Like, I don't want to be trapped in one thing. Like, I I, want to be free. With uh, For for me, it's similar to that in that, I worry that I will become – I feel like I'm faking it in general. I feel like I've just been faking it. And I worry that I'll become so successful that I will – it's like pushing off at the deep end, off the yeah. side of the pool at the deep end. You like push off and you swim real fast back, but you're still not good at swimming. That's kind of how I feel like in life sometimes. Like I will push off too far. I will become too successful until I realize, oh, you can't wait, swim. I'm clueless. Oh, that should be the least of your worries. Well, that goes to the, you know, have you ever heard of like the Peter principle, which is the idea that you'll get promoted so far, you'll become so success, successful at something that you'll reach a point where you're not any good at it. I will, I will reach my incompetence level. Right. You'll reach your level of incompetence. Uh, and that's kind of, I think I have that kind of fear too. I can only hope. So, so what happens then? I mean, people, some people, they, they get sweaty, they shake, some people freeze. And I, I actually had to speak at an event once, and there were thousands of people, and they hooked the microphone into my back, and it, like, went crazy, made that terrible sound. And all of a sudden, it, you know, she said, and, you know, Kim Powers-Dilson, and I froze. I just sat there, like, you know, Marsha Brady looking at the camera, the red light. Do you guys ever see that episode? That, of the Brady that reference is a little over I'm with heads. you. I'm with you. You know, that I'm freezing thing. Sometimes people freeze, so... And and I understand we have a rant about freezing. Most definitely. Right? Okay, so that's coming up in the show. Okay, all right. So Bryce has some thoughts about freezing that he is going to share with us on the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to be right back after this brief break. In the future, astronauts may turn trash into treasure aboard their spacecraft. We'll explain why. This is Innovation Now bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. Trash disposal has been a problem of spaceflight from the very beginning. Food wrappers, packing materials, where do you put it? The traditional answer for the space station has been to pack departing cargo modules with trash, letting it all incinerate as it re-enters the Earth's atmosphere. That keeps the station clean and roomy, but that waste represents a lot of money and energy spent getting it into orbit to start with. What if we could put that trash to some kind of productive use in space? 
it would turn from waste into a useful resource. That's the thinking behind the experiment between NASA's Kennedy and Ames Research Centers. They are looking for a method to crush and heat space trash to turn it into inert insulation materials. These could help protect astronauts from space radiation. The same process would also squeeze out valuable water from the trash for recycling on the station while disinfecting the waste. Tiles made of compacted, inert waste would be used to enhance radiation shielding on the space station or even a two-year Mars mission. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Why not get your business involved as a sponsor of Cougar Sports on BYU TV, BYU Radio, and BYUTVSports.com. For details, call 801-422-1448 or email corporate support at byu.edu. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm host Kim Power Stilson, filling in for Matt while he's in sunny San Diego, probably on the beach enjoying the beautiful balmy breezes. And uh, we're right here in the Brigham Young University studios. And this is great because we're talking about fear, fear of failure, fear of success, those kind of fears. And we, you know, what happens to us when we get scared? And Bryce has some thoughts, like I promise, about freezing. And he's going to share those with us now. Look, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I'm about to rant. This is The Bryce is Right. You've got fight and you've got flight. We've heard about these reactions to stress. I'm not going to continue beating that dead horse. Though, we have forgotten about the freeze response. Let me give you an example we should all remember. It's 1993, you're sitting in the theater for Jurassic Park. It's a dinosaur movie, and at its bare bones, it's not really all that different from any other monster movie. We were there because we wanted to see people get eaten by dinosaurs. And while it was an achievement of special effects, for the first 40 minutes, you still kind of knew it was all fake. There was that scene with what I'm assuming was a Brachiosaurus and that triumphant music. It was the first big reveal, but you knew that was all computers. There were some baby dinosaurs hatching out of eggs that had to have been puppets, and that Triceratops that got sick must have been some pretty bad animatronics. But that's not what we were there for. We'd seen the previews for this movie. We'd got a few glimpses of the T-Rex. And that's where we wanted Spielberg to really deliver. We wanted to see a T-Rex wreak havoc on these poor little humans. That is, until we got a good look at the T-Rex. All of us were feeling pretty brave up until that point. After the lawyer got eaten, what did the brave and knowledgeable Dr. Grant tell everyone to do? He told them not to move so the T-Rex wouldn't see them. So they froze. And you know what else? We all froze. That monster on screen was terrifying. Now, first things first, that's some questionable science. We don't know for sure what a T-Rex brain could do, but for an apex predator with stereoscopic eyes, it would be a huge oversight to ignore motionless objects. There are still some reptilian brains that do this, but it has certainly gone out of vogue. But I wanted to point this out because at one time in history, to freeze was a great plan of action. So let's fast forward the biological clock. There's a test you can do with lab monkeys. You find one, you put it in an enclosure all by itself, then one of the researchers walks into the room where the monkey can see without making any eye contact. As long as the monkey doesn't recognize who the researcher is, once they know something else is in the room, they'll become visibly agitated. But once the researcher makes eye contact with the monkey, they freeze. So let's break this down. The monkey's in a metal box with a metal grate on the front. The researcher's standing in front of the box. What's the end game plan here? The monkey is the only thing that stands out. It's not going to camouflage with anything. Freezing isn't going to save it, so why do it? 
This reaction is just the leftovers from a bygone era. Nowadays, whether you're moving or not, most predators can tell what you are and if you're worth eating. But there was a time where freezing could save your life. That's where that programming came from. And we haven't entirely done away with it. So when stress comes our way, most of us dig in for a fight or hop off into flight. But if you pay close attention, we all freeze before we figure out what we're going to do. It's our own little reminder of what our ancestors used to do to avoid becoming lunch. And you know what? If you're here today, that means it works so far. All right, I'm out. And remember, don't forget to be awesome. Okay, back to the Matt Townsend Show and Bryce. <laughs> Jurassic Park. That's great that you remember that movie. That Those dinosaurs, I still have nightmares where the dinosaur steps in. Like he steps on my dog or my daughter. <laughs> or the, the thud. Yeah. Oh. Like the... Or the water. If ever, whenever I see water, I, you do freeze. That's true. It's, it was just the noise. The whole atmosphere and, you know, the giant monster lizard coming to get you. Why do we like to be scared? I mean, we paid, we paid what, eight bucks to go to that movie? Well, it was back then it was probably like, I don't know, $3. Even adjusted for inflation, it was probably, I don't know, $3. I did pay like 15 bucks to go see the 3D re-release like a month ago. So, yeah. Was it, it awesome? Was, was oh, it better? totally worth it. Totally it worth so it. so great. Yeah. I loved it. And, and were you as scared even though you'd seen it and knew what was coming? Uh, no, it's just, it, it's Spielberg's so good at building like suspense and tension that even if you're not scared, you're like tense. Even if you know that the lawyer is about to get eaten, you're still like, you know, very, very tense about it on the edge of your seat, no matter what, even if it's not like out, outright frightening. So dinosaurs, fear, are we, is that the only thing that makes us freeze? Do you think you said avoid being lunch? I thought that was hilarious. Well, I mean, if we're going back to what fear is and you know, it, the actual, fear of physical harm or I guess what it was of of actual uh mutilation is one thing that Merritt found is is it's not just pain it's also like terrible awful things happening to you so like anything from dinosaurs to fire to the that light that comes at you the train you know everybody freezes get off the yeah. tracks they're just staring at the train as it's barreling down towards them that just, for some reason, it triggers in our brain instead of something like get out of the way or, you know, make sure someone else gets eaten or whatever. Um, for some reason, our brain says, just stop and maybe it won't notice you, even though it's, you know, a fire. Fire doesn't care if you're moving or not. Train, train's doing its thing. Those things don't stop on a dime. Um, animals especially, they will, you know, if they want to eat you, they'll just eat you. Well, like you're saying monkeys, that's, so that's more of an inherit, avoid being eaten by the predator. Exactly. Than yeah. being, you know, okay. So um, you have something on mutilation? That sounds awful, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I have a fear of you reading this. <laughs> well, actually, what, what it comes from is a Psychology Today article by Dr. Carl Albrecht. And he says there are actually only five fears that we actually experience and that all of our other fears that we've talked about really just stem from those five. And those are extinction, so ceasing to exist. Personally death, or as know. a race? or it, More oh. of, yeah, just a fear of death that we'll die. Something will cause us to die. Mutilation, so that would be pain, any sort of... Awful. Yeah, awfulness. Loss of autonomy, which I thought was really interesting. Which is independence. Independence, mm -hmm. mobility. And then um, separation. So that would come with a lot of relationship problems. You fear rejection or abandonment, um, not being connected with people. And then last is what he calls ego death, but it's basically a fear of humiliation or shame. So kind of I think maybe a lot of what social phobia 
comes from is just that you're afraid you're going to embarrass yourself in some way. But they all stem from those five. And we were talking about before the show, all of the fears that we talked about can be traced back to one of these. So all of them go back. So even the spiders, I mean, the spider bites you, your, you know, your leg falls off or exactly. whatever, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually got bitten by a spider and the poison was in my system. And a couple days later, I was just sitting there and all of a sudden I saw this army of spiders coming up my leg you know, just like crawling on my leg, just taking over me. And I was screaming and yelling and I, no one could see anything. But the, the poison in my system caused me to hallucinate to see those spiders. And now I see one and I see a million. So I run. That's terrifying. <laughs> it was terrifying. <laughs> and I froze okay at first. <laughs> I did. I froze and I was like, <sighs> I don't know why screaming is the appropriate response often. Like, you know, I, I'm sure directors, producers, they count on that scream response because once someone screams in the theater, what happens? Everyone else. Yeah. Everyone else screams like crazy. But, I mean, why do we do that first? I mean, why don't we run first or, you know? Well, if we're trying to not get noticed, like, let's not waste time yelling or <laughs> let's not draw attention to ourselves. Like, maybe as friends and whatever this is, it's the only one that sees me. Let's not telegraph, I'm helpless. Like... <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I so uh, I mean fear then fear uh, of success it all kind of like you said those things are different. I mean fear of being separated from your loved ones, fear of dying, fear of humiliation, those are different fears. Yeah, but actually um our guest Suzanne Babel, she's going to talk about how those fear of success actually do come back to these things that they're really they the fear of success is really coming from a fear of something else. Okay, so we're going to talk with Dr. Suzanne Babel, and you're going to love this segment because we're going to talk about what you just said and also ways to have solutions to improve on that. We'll be right back with more of the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 after this. What do you want to know? Kim Power Stilson has a whole list of things she wants to learn about. On her show, Talkworthy, she invites you to join her as she interviews expert guests, learning new things along the way. It doesn't matter if the subject is a serious thought provoker or just plain fun. If it's Talkworthy, Kim will cover it. Talkworthy airs Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. This is Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. The man supposedly behind revealing the NSA's top secret surveillance programs has dropped off the map in Hong Kong ahead of an expected push from the U.S. to have him extradited to face charges. Edward Snowden told the media he does not expect to ever be able to come home. The race to fill New Jersey's now vacant Senate seat may already have a leader. The first public opin- opinion poll since the death of Senator Frank Lautenberg shows Newark Mayor Cory Booker is viewed favorably by over 50 percent of the respondents. George Zimmerman's murder trial is set to begin today, over a year after he claims to have shot teen Trayvon Martin in self-defense. The high-profile case has already attracted protesters outside the courthouse. In Philadelphia, district attorneys announced plans today to convene a grand jury to investigate the extent of responsibility for a building collapse last week, which killed six and injured 13 more. 
A radically different pay scale is being tested in a wealthy Colorado school district. With the new plan, different categories of educators would have varying salary caps, meaning a third-grade teacher will never be able to make as much as a veteran high school math teacher. In world news, a large apartment building in Mumbai collapsed today, leaving at least 20 people trapped beneath the rubble. This latest disaster comes just two months after another building collapse in the area took 74 lives. U.S. officials say a decision could come as early as this week on whether or not to arm Syrian rebels. Secretary of State John Kerry even put a Middle East trip on hold to attend meetings on the subject. A dam burst in eastern Europe forced over 20,000 people to evacuate in Hungary and Germany earlier today. Waters have receded largely, but emergency workers say affected areas are still too dangerous for people to return home. That's the news to half past the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Kim Power Stilson, filling in for Matt. uh, Matt, well, he is in sunny San Diego, like we said before. Now, we've been talking about fear of success and the root of fear, and we've got Dr. Suzanne Babel with us today, and she's an integrative trauma therapist in San Francisco. She's also a licensed psychotherapist. She integrates mind-body therapy with uh, with hypnotherapy, which I think would be really interesting to hear about, inner child work to bring results. She's spoken at conferences, given workshops. She had many articles, uh, several of which I read this week in Psychology Today on their blog. And she's been quoted in magazines like Cosmopolitan and New York Times um, and the Oakland Tribune newspaper. Uh, Dr. Babel, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. Well, thank you for joining us. Now, you're in San Francisco, is that right? Yes, I am. It's not as warm as I think as you have it in where you are, but... uh... Yeah, that's where I am. Yeah, Mark Twain, you know this well. He said the the yeah. the, the coolest <laughs> uh, winter, the coldest winter ever spent was summer in San Francisco. And he was right on. <laughs> I, I agree. Every time I go, I bring a sweater. So. Yes, I have three sweaters always in my trunk because you never know how cold it would be. Now you have an, a, a beautiful accent. Is uh, tell us where your accent is from. Yeah, I'm originally from Germany, from Hamburg, and I came over probably a little bit over 20 years ago. And, you know, I have, I actually had an exchange student from Germany just to kind of connect you with their audience, and she's from, she's from Hamburg, actually. Oh my gosh, (laughs) that's funny. So your accent threw me off. I I knew you were from Germany, and I wanted to ask because you sound a lot like her. Is there a distinctive dialect in Hamburg versus maybe Bonn or someplace else? Yes, definitely. And in Hamburg, it's definitely a a totally different dialect than in the South. And sometimes we have... What we speak in Hamburg, everywhere they have to learn the higher German, it's called... But in the South, they have their own dialect. If they start talking, I have sometimes no idea what they're talking about. But, yes, you have definitely a different dialect. So you might hear that a little bit. Even even just Hamburg, some people say, oh, you, you must be from Hamburg. It sounds like it. Yeah, yeah, I, I love it. I think it's the prettiest German accent there is. So I'm glad I'm glad it's you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Now, Dr. Mm-hmm. Babel, or can, may I call you Suzanne? Sure, yes. Okay, Suzanne, will you tell us then, you came here 20 years ago. Was that a scary experience? 
Yes, it was very scary. Um, first of all, you know, a lot of people think everyone who comes from uh, Europe speaks fluent English, but I didn't. I had every day I had to learn a word. Five, my goal was five words a day, and that's what I did. And then I keep learning new vocabulary. And so, yeah, it was very scary because I really didn't speak the language fluently. We did. We all have English in school, but it's like you have Spanish in school. It doesn't mean that you are fluent in it or understand it. It's just in some tourist towns where they hear it all the time, like in Munich, there they have um, some army stations there, they, and they have a lot of tourists. They hear a lot more. But if you're not in a tourist town, I was in Hamburg, but I also up in a smaller town close to Hamburg, so I didn't have a lot of tourists that <clears throat> were in the area, and so I didn't really hear um, any English except for my teacher, so I really wasn't that great, but yeah, it was scary, it was very scary, but uh, for some reason, and not everyone feels that way, I felt home right away, and I never wanted to leave, <laughs> so yeah, it was coming home rather than leaving home. So, well, tell us then how how you chose your career and, and share with us a little bit about fear and fear of success. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's, it does fit so well. I had a lot of fear coming over. And um, at the time, I probably was also escaping a little of my family, I would say. But so when I came over, I first went to school and actually I went and... I was already in hotel management at the time, and in Germany it was back then, you know, over 20 years ago, it wasn't very common to go back to school once you're over 20. It was seen as flaky. That's at least what I grew up with. Not everyone in Germany may probably experience that, but 20 years ago it was like that for me. And... um, People said, oh, you can't change, just have to stay with the profession that you learned. And I just didn't, for me, it wasn't the right match. But when I came over here, everyone was saying, oh, you can go back to school no matter what age. And I thought, oh, is that wonderful or what? And so first I wanted to dance. And that was always my dream. I wasn't the greatest dancer, but I just wanted to dance. And that's where I also learned about the relationship between psychology and the body. I learned that as I I was watching the dancers, as I was watching uh, people move, that that had a correlation with their character, with how they, their fears and all that, and became more and more interested in it. And then I found out that there's actually a program that there's actually a psychology that looks at that, and that's called somatic psychology, where they go and, and look at how body and mind are connected. And I was just thrilled. So once I got um, my degree in dance, I went and got my master's in psychology and learned a lot about the connection between mind and body. And then it just wasn't enough. I practiced as a therapist, and then I thought, it's just not, I just don't know enough, and so I went back and... Um, because in the master's program, you have mostly the traditional um, classes, and then you have a little bit of the body-mind. At least for me, it sound, it was it seemed like it was rather little. So I thought, oh, I just want more. And so then I went back and got my PhD in body-mind psychology, and I, just, I use it all the time. I also was in therapy myself, and when I started using this kind of method, I felt that 
for me it went a lot quicker and it addressed issues where you don't a lot of times there's verbal therapy which is also really important it is necessary for healing but the body has its own story and if the mind and the body don't agree then you don't get the outcome that you want and so from so that's what I noticed and then when I started my own practice and also working in First, I worked in agencies. I worked with a lot of traumatized children and trauma centers. I noticed how quickly they recovered versus just using one aspect, and that is our, you know, our verbal therapy. And I don't want to put it down, but it just it just worked a lot quicker and was more successful. Now, Susan, with my practice. I'm sorry to interrupt. So Dr. Suzanne Babel, again, we're talking with her about fear and fear of success. So it sounds like as you're studying dancing, you you noticed that the mind and the body had like, you know, them kind of working together was could be disparate. So you did these um, lots of years of study, advanced education in these areas. And at the end, you found that the, the there's a psychology of the body. So the mind doesn't always match the physiolo- physiological traits. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, that doesn't. A lot of times, you know, when we, um, for example, we all, New Year's Eve, we all know that night, we have all these goals that we want to reach in the next few months or that year, and every year it's the same goal. It's our logic that says, yeah, I, I, I can do it, I know what to do, but then we can't do it. And there's a part of the physiology, physiology that sometimes just doesn't agree with it. And they have to work, be worked out so they both are on the same page. So could you give me an example of that? Yeah. So, for example, if you, you know, a lot of people talk about losing weight. I just use the typical ones. But, for example, losing weight, if there's been, um, you know, I specialize in trauma, so I always have a little tendency to go there. But for someone who's, for example, had some trauma, they might use their body as a as a shield, as a to create distance between someone, or to be less vulnerable. Many reasons can be there. So we can say, um, our logical mind can say, yes, we. Um, I know every week I just eat this and that, and I do the exercise, but then you actually can't do it, and. There's also another reason, um, not only trauma, but sometimes we take the steps are just too big, and the smaller the steps, the better, because as as we talk about um, smaller steps, they are more, more achievable, and they have more success, and that actually has also to do with the brain, and it's great on your show, you talk a lot about uh, nervous system and brain and, and how, you know, how that all works, and so... There is a part, the amygdala, and it has emotional memory, the emotional memory, and it will, it will go, and it also um, has to do with fear. And so, if it goes in the amygdala, it might react with fear. Whereas, then, if you take small steps, it will go into another part of your brain, it's uh, the neocortex, and there, it will then say, "Oh, it's okay." Um, now that you're okay, you can take the next step. So you're actually more successful the smaller steps you take. And so, so there's that mm-hmm, connection. So let me ask you this, just so that those of us listening, whether we're driving or, or listening from our mm-hmm. office, 
let's talk about let's talk about success. You you referenced that several times um, in describing this. So people are listening. They say, okay, you know, we've been talking about fears, little fears, big fears, mm-hmm. and 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 this success. So maybe we we mentally or you know we we hope for this success, and yet we're afraid of the steps we need to take going towards that. Is that really related to the amygdala and the neocortex? Well, there's, there's a lot that's happening. I would say let's let's look at what success, how you define it, and what you feel is success. Is it a lot of money, making money? Is it having a family? Is it a house, having a car, looking younger, being smart? All those, you know, first look at is it yours, is it the success that you want, or are you going by what other people the society expects from you. I think that's really also something to look at because if we have an expectation that we want to meet the society, it's a lot harder than if it's your own expectation, your own goals. And so I think we need to look at that one first and then also see is it an achievable goal. So if the steps are too big, um, we need to do the smaller one. But is it achievable? Is that achievable and yeah and so it has a lot there's a lot that um, there are a lot of beliefs that keep us from um, being successful but also our physiology and do you want me to talk about maybe the beliefs or do you want me to talk more about the uh, physiology Well, we'll definitely want to talk about beliefs and physiology when we come back. We need to take a short break. We're talking with Dr. Suzanne Babel, and we're on the Matt Townsend Show. And she's an integrative trauma therapist from San Francisco. And you can find more information on her on drbabel.com. But she'll be back with us after this brief break. BYU All-American quarterback Robbie Bosco. We were playing at the University of Pittsburgh. It was my first collegiate football game, and I was so nervous. I wasn't even sure if I should be the quarterback or not. My first three passes were incomplete. The first pass I threw was about 20 feet over the receiver's head. I couldn't believe I threw it like that. And then my next two passes were just weren't even close to being completed. As I was walking off the field, Coach Edwards was walking towards me, and I thought, oh, boy, this is the end. He's going to yank me, and he's going to tell me that they're going to let another guy come in and see what he can do. But he came over, put his hands on my shoulder, told me to relax, told me that I was their guy and not to worry about anything else, just go out there and play. Having him believe in me changed my life. Chances are the relationships that changed your life started at BYU. Share your story at alumni.byu.edu slash update. Remember when, remember why. BYU alumni connected for good. Richard and Linda Iyer. Hello, listeners. Have a unique perspective on life. I was going to do this show from underwater. But when it comes to parenting, they always know just what to say. And after writing over 20 books on the subject, they are more passionate than ever about helping people raise happy families. It kind of makes your whole life more vibrant. Join Richard and Linda for Iyer's on the Road weekdays at 6.30 p.m. Eastern here on BYU Radio. World issues can be complex and oftentimes confusing. The percentage saying that he's more pro-Israel went down from 31% to only 6 It fell a few months later, only 4%. The poll had a margin of error of 4.5%, which if you think about it, is almost mathematically impossible. 
that meant that there are people who hadn't even been born yet who had a problem. Learn from the experts by listening to Notes from the Kennedy Center weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Kim Power Stilson, filling in for Matt Townsend while he's off on vacation. And we've been talking about fear, fear of success. Now, we've talked about fear of open water, fear of snakes, fear of being caught in an elevator, having to make small talk to someone with someone. Very scary things, mind you. But we've been talking about now with Dr. Susan Babel about fear of success. Now, Dr. Babel, why would people be afraid of success? Isn't success a good thing? Yeah, usually it is a good thing. Uh, success should always be a good thing. But there's the fear. Fear is usually there for us to determine if we are in danger or not and for us to be in, to look for safety. And if success doesn't seem safe to us, then we don't really want to go there. We want to. Our logic will say yes, but our body or my, maybe all of the rest of us doesn't want to go in that direction because it's, there's something about it that is um, not safe. And so those are often fear conditions that we either on beliefs or through physiology got us to, to, to that fear. And so, for example, um, there's something when you, the fear of success, let's say you go, um, back to school and you get an education and then you move up the ladder and you um, have starting another status, maybe that is different from your upbringing. And that sometimes brings in a little split, like a separation between you and your family members, between you and your relatives and friends. And maybe even if it's later in life, it can be maybe are you more powerful than your partner. And that can be interpreted as something that is um, as separating. And so that's one of the um, reasons why people sometimes um, fear there's You know, those are all sometimes just in the subconscious. They're not always there where you know why you fear it. You just know, well, I'm sabotaging it. Why am I doing it? And you can't figure out why. But those might be all in your subconscious lying there underneath everything, you know. So have you actually worked um, with people who yeah. are afraid of of success and you've been able to help them? What are some solutions for that? Yeah, I have. I have helped a lot of people. I've had um, clients, for example, who had narcissistic um, parents and narcissistic are usually, for example, parents that are very egocentric. Everything is about them and whatever you do has to be about them. And so some, I have a woman who, for example, didn't even um, allow herself to want anything. That was absolutely no-no. So wanting exact success was not, was not okay in her vocabulary. And so we've worked on that issue a lot, and she's now doing what she really wants. And so it's a career that she wants. And there are also a lot of people that come to me and... Um, for example, they've, just because I've worked with a lot of trauma, they've had um, a traumatic childhood. And what happens often is with people um, that had trauma, traumatic childhood is that um, the parent was 
not using their power appropriately. And so for them to go into a powerful position, success is often felt as more powerful, was also for them not something that they thought they could deal with because there was this this fear of having power, and they were never allowed to have power, too. So it can be either one. So power is not okay. And so I've had a lot of clients where we work through those issues. Now, how do you and, decide? I mean, you, they come mm-hmm. into your office, and do they, are they, do they know what's wrong with them, or do you help them come to a place where they understand, wow, this is based in my childhood versus me being afraid for this promotion? It actually has to do with my parents. Is that, is that how you do it? Yeah, they, they most, most often people don't know why they're afraid. And I get a lot of, you know, this article, I got a lot of um, readers, and they write to me and they said they had no idea um, why they were doing that. They just knew that they were doing it and something was off. And that's the same with my clients. They come in and say, I don't know why I'm afraid um, to move forward. I don't know why I'm afraid to start my own business. I'm a, I don't know why I'm afraid to go back to school. And, and, and all, you know, success is not only about career, but relationships as well as being successful in relationships, right? Or even feeling um, good about your body, that's success too. But they come in and have no idea. And that's where some of the techniques that I use um, come in. So would you say... Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry to interrupt you. So would you say that fear, then this fear, even though people have the physiological uh, responses to that, maybe they you know, what, like what would they be, maybe trembling or shaking versus the fact that they just, in their head, they have this belief. What what would the differences be? So if someone's listening and thinking, okay, yeah, I'm afraid to start my own business, but they have different symptoms. What kind of things would they be able to look for either in their head or physically? Yeah, I would look for both. I would look why, um, in, through hypnotherapy, for example, I would go, what we do is we go a little bit just in a little bit of an altered state and they don't have, a lot of people are really afraid also of hypnotherapy. And and just for our listeners, um, tell yeah. us what hypnotherapy is, yeah. just in case people don't know. Oh yeah, that's that's a good idea. A lot of people think of the um, stage hypnosis, you know, where you do something that you don't want to do and that's not what we use in therapy. It's, it's going into a really more of a relaxed state so that you don't stay in your um, left brain or in your new state. Don't stay just with your logic, but there's a way of um, accessing your subconscious and see what's really there. So if you say, you know, I'm really afraid to start my own business, but I don't know why, then we might go and, and say, okay, let's find out what, how it developed, why it developed, when it developed, all those questions. And so you go into kind of an altered state. It doesn't have to be that deep to access your subconscious. And then you are, then all that information is available. And then you know, oh, that's because my parents told me I was never good enough. And now I can't be good enough in anything. Oh, this is because power was used and everyone got hurt with that power. I cannot use power. You know, so you learn, and then you can use tools 
to um, to heal that experience where it came from. Then there's the physiological reaction where you go in and um, where people just say, I just get so anxious, for example, um, you know, social anxiety or giving a presentation. Um, then you go into, if it came from, you talked, you just talked about freeze and that was really interesting. So there's a fight, flight, freeze reaction and that comes from the nervous system and it gets triggered by anything that's around you. It can be triggered by um, a sound, it can be triggered by a thought, it can be triggered by emotion, it can be triggered by um, anything you see or hear or smell. This can be um, the fight, flight, freeze can start, and that's usually a trauma reaction. And you were talking about it earlier, the freeze, freeze response. And so somebody who is um, going in a social situation or giving a presentation, they might um, go into freeze reaction. So I would go, there's some, something that's called uh, somatic experiencing, and it's um, was developed by Peter Levine, and it's a, a way of working with your nervous system. And I'm sure that there are probably other ways to work with your nervous system, but this is a way of um, feeling, what am I actually doing? Am I, am I in a freeze, or am I, in, am I fighting, or am I running away from it? But there's a way that you sit with those feelings, and you have to let me know if I'm going too far with this. But well, I, I think it's with that feeling. Yeah, I think that's I think that's helpful, and we do need to go to a break. Yeah. But I love this. Um, I love this quote that is. Um, you know, by Les Brown. And he says, too many of us are not living our dreams because we are living our fears. And so I think what you're saying is that, you know, we we may have these responses to things we want to do, but we may stop ourselves for some reason. And that might be due to trauma or for something that happened when we're younger. And we need to pay attention to our responses when it isn't the response that we intend with our dreams, right? Um, I think That's that that so, makes so much sense. Right. Okay, so yeah, we... Yeah. We are talking to Dr. Susan Babel, and after the break, we're going to come back and talk about solutions that we can actually exercise to help us overcome our fear of success. This is the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Kim Power Stills and Hosting. We'll be right back with more after this. KBYU-FM, HD2 Provo. Uh, music is pretty much how I recharge. Someone asked me yesterday, I think one of the students, uh, you like to do anything other than music? And I said, yes, more music. So let us recharge you with Highway 89, where we bring you live music performances and interviews straight from the recording studio at the heart of BYU Radio. Tune in to Highway 89 Monday through Saturday at 10 p.m. Eastern here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. This is Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. The man supposedly behind revealing the NSA's top-secret surveillance programs has dropped off the map in Hong Kong ahead of an expected push from the U.S. to have him extradited to face charges. Edward Snowden told the media he does not expect to ever be able to come home. 
The race to fill New Jersey's now vacant Senate seat may already have a leader. The first public opinion poll since the death of Senator Frank Lautenberg shows Newark Mayor Cory Booker is viewed favorably by over 50 percent of the respondents. The murder trial for George Zimmerman started today with numerous protesters gathering outside the courthouse. Zimmerman's defense is still focusing on his claim of self-defense when he shot and killed unarmed teen Trayvon Martin over a year ago. In Philadelphia, district attorneys announced plans today to convene a grand jury to investigate the extent of responsibility for a building collapse last week, which killed six people and injured 13 more. In world news, a large apartment building in Mumbai collapsed today, leaving at least 20 people trapped beneath the rubble. This latest disaster comes just two months after another building collapsed in the city, which took 74 lives. U.S. officials say they could have a decision as early as this week on whether or not to arm Syrian rebels. Secretary of State John Kerry even put a Middle East trip on hold to attend meetings on the subject. A dam burst in eastern Europe forced over 20,000 people to evacuate in Hungary and Germany early today. Waters have receded largely, but emergency workers say affected areas are still too dangerous for people to return home. Former South African leader and equal rights activist Nelson Mandela is in stable but serious condition, according to doctors at a hospital where Mandela is being treated for a lung infection. This is the third time he's been in the hospital in the last year. That's the news to the top of the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Matt is on vacation in San Diego, and I'm Kim Power Stilson, filling in for him this week so that he can have a good time in the sun. Obviously, he doesn't fear having a vacation, right? <laughs> we're talking to Dr. Suzanne Babel, and we've been talking about the fear of success and people's different fears. And uh, I like this quote by Norman Vincent Peale. He said, do not let your fears choose your destiny. And we've been talking with Dr. Suzanne Babel about how to find out if we're fearful of success. And now we're going to talk about solutions. So we've talked a little bit about why our brain and how it works together with physiological and our belief system may be patterned from where, when we were younger. Now let's talk about how, uh, with Dr. Babel, about how we can find solutions. And I understand, I, I read one of your articles and it was fabulous. It talked about this exercise you can do that uh, yeah. would help with this. Yeah, should I go through that a little bit? It would be wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, let's do that. And um, just to say, I wanted to say that excite that excitement of the success can is the same feeling. It's a, it's a state of arousal, this excitement, and it's very similar to the to trauma. What we've experienced at fight, flight, freeze. That's also an arousal. So they are inside of the physiology. It's almost the same, and so it's then associated with, oh my gosh, this must, it, it can't differentiate basically. And so whenever you feel excitement, or a lot of times when you feel excitement, you then go into, oh my gosh, five, five, face. And oh, so, okay, so naturally, that's, it's so similar, those things could happen. And you're saying flight, yeah, so, fight, or freeze. Yeah. Okay. Fight, uh, f- um, fight, flight, like running away. Or freeze is like you can't do anything anymore. Yeah, great. And and so those are really important traumas. Not only childhood um, experiences, it's also car accidents, it's natural disasters, all the things that we've seen on the uh, on the TV all the in the last few weeks. All of those um, can 
be seen as trauma. There's a lot of ty- lot of types of trauma, and so they everyone who's had it might in the future um, their body might associate excitement, the same feeling with the, that is now in the nervous system, might feel the same and then be afraid. And so the, the solution is then to differentiate. And there's a technique that I um, learned from Peter Levine that's called somatic experiencing. And it's a way of being with... So that's why I'm going, I'm going to do this um, exercise, but it, it kind of came about... Yeah, I used his technique to to develop that. So first, I would say, recall an event where you were successful or excited when you were younger. And I wrote this in my article so you can see that. And then notice what you're feeling and sensing. So, Kim, maybe if you were successful um, at something, what do you feel when you now think of it? And then you stay with that sensation and when you say stay with that sensation, you, do you mean just kind of sit there and meditate about it? Like how great it was, people cheering, you know, whatever it was. Is that what you mean? It's great that you're asking that. Yes. And you want to locate it in your body. And that's something we never talk about anywhere. We never talk about, oh, I'm sensing my heartbeat. I am breathing deeply. I'm breathing really quickly. Those kind of things you want to pay attention to because that's also what gives us inf- information um, to our brain and, and, and create thoughts. It's not, you know, so yeah, you want to stay with the sensations. Oh, I'm breathing heavily. I have this chest pain or I feel this, I feel this, um, this knot in my throat, for example. And you stay with it, even though if it's uncomfortable or if it's comfortable also, it doesn't matter, but you stay with it. So when you're successful and then you recall an event where you were successful and excited recently in your life. The one is when you were younger, and now it's when you're in your life. And notice if that is different or if it's similar. So in other words, if you're feeling that same, you know, fear in the pit of your stomach or that same butterflies or, you know. That's right. Okay. All right. Yeah, you're right. You got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So another five minutes, and then what? Mm-hmm. And then you go into the sensation of an overwhelming situation. And I, I suggest not to go into something that's uh, traumatic, but something that just was overwhelming. Let's say you gave a speech, or you, you're very nervous, maybe for you, somebody, a celebrity on the radio show, you know. And then you see what you feel then. And do you stay with that for five minutes, too? And then you stay with that as well. Mm-hmm. And then you go back to your success stories. So something that where you, what Peter Levine a lot of times talks about is a pendulation between something that you experience as, as pleasant. It's kind of the same. Um, it's all about success, but one is more pleasant than the other. And so then your body starts to recognize, oh, you know, it's not all in, in one session, but that's one way of, of doing it. And your body can then starting to differentiate what was then and what is now. And that's really important. That should be the first step. 
So if you if you notice the first time you maybe had um, fear in your stomach and the next time you have butterflies, then how would you resolve that? Mm-hmm. Then what you do is, so you stay with that feeling and, and the practitioner would, would also guide you through that. You stay with the feeling until it shifts. And it's really the nervous system that has to have has um, has to have a way of working itself out. So if there was an overwhelming situation before where it, your nervous system couldn't quite go through that cycle, now it would have a chance to say, "Okay, I'm actually safe right now. I'm okay in this situation." And that's kind of the conditioning. Before we were conditioned to fear something. And now we need to condition our body to say, you know what, it's actually okay to be in this situation. I have and a great example I, of this. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and let me share it with you Good. and tell you what you think. It's really quick. I have a daughter who's yeah. a basketball uh-huh. player. And um, mm-hmm. she got on a new team. And when she got on this new team, she wasn't playing as well or as aggressively. And so we took her to a hypnotherapist and We found out that her new shoes, she'd gotten new basketball shoes, and these new basketball shoes did not squeak when she played basketball. And so when she squeaked, they squeaked, she felt comfortable playing ball, but they didn't squeak, so she didn't feel like she was playing well, so therefore she kind of stopped playing well. Um, What do you think of that one, that example? Yes, that's a perfect example. Here's your, you know, the senses is part of receiving um, something from your body, and also... Your daughter, the squeaking was an association she has made with success. With swish, with baskets, yeah. Right? Yeah, so then most of the time it's here, most of the time when it squeaked, she felt something is familiar and there was probably success and she wants to keep keep it going. And so if it's new shoes and she doesn't have that squeak, then there's not that familiarity and not the association. So she, she does a conditioning as well, but, a, you know, positive, but can't change. Mm-hmm. Well, and we found so her shoes probably, yeah. that squeaked, and yeah. she was able to go back to playing more normally. But I would never have found that out unless she'd gone to this uh, hypnotherapist because, you know, who's going to notice the squeak missing? I mean, right? There's people squeaking <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly why I love hypnotherapy because... You don't know. See, as a psychologist, we have lots of ideas and lots of theories why someone has something, but it just might be that um, that's something that they learned the last few months or however long your daughter has been playing um, basketball, that she, that's, that's what she started associating with, you know? And so we, not, we just don't know. I've had um, people that were, didn't like um, a woman who didn't like her face and it, it, you know, she came from another therapist who said, "Oh, it's a self-esteem issue." But then, when we did hypnotherapy, we found out it was actually with um, a relative that was um, not a kind man, and and they had a similar ethnicity, and so she didn't want to have that ethnicity, and therefore not look like that. You know, he would, we would have never found that out unless it's. It's hypnotherapy. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm a big believer, and I read your article, and I would recommend it for anyone listening that says, okay, this is this is interesting. This may be something I want to look into. Can you share your, I believe it's at Dr. Babel, and that's 
with two Bs.com and then maybe share the, the title of your article. Yeah, the title of my article is Fear of Success, and you can find it on my blog or also on Psychology Today blog on my website, and you and that's and that's where you can read more about it. Well, this has been fascinating, and I think that to all of us out there listening who have some kind of fear of something, whether it's going to family reunion or getting in an elevator or just starting your own business, that this would be a great article to to read. And Dr. Babel, thank you so much for joining us today on the Matt Townsend Show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I hope it's helpful. Very helpful. You've been an excellent guest. Um, and again, this is Dr. Susan Babel, and you can find out more information on drbabel.com. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. Bye bye. So, so Merritt, I I, uh, I think that this is um, you had some like I think people are are wondering now. They're sitting here. They're saying, okay, I wonder if we have this right. And maybe you don't want to go to the trouble of going to a hypnotherapist. But um, are we going to talk about that after a break, or are we going to talk now? We can talk about it now. Okay. I found a great quiz that was developed at Boston College, and it was later published in a book called The Success-Fearing Personality. And it has all of this these questions, or yes-no questions, about just how you feel about your own success. So, for example, number one is, and you can either, if this is true or false about you, it says, I generally feel guilty about my own happiness if a friend tells me that she's or he or she is depressed. So you can't, if somebody else feels bad, you feel bad that you feel Okay, good. so and so if you say yes, that's a sign of? That's a sign that you fear your own success because you are afraid that that person will no longer accept you, that you won't be part of the group, that you will be unloved by them because of your success, because of your own happiness. And so there are several other. So conversely, if they say how great they're doing and mm-hmm. I wish I was doing that great, I, or we're doing that great, is that the opposite of fear <laughs> for my success? <laughs> I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah, they have some other interesting ones on here. Um, For example, uh, one that I thought was interesting was, I feel self-conscious when someone who counts compliments me. So I thought that was very interesting, feeling self-conscious, because, I mean, lots of times, I I don't know, for me, especially, like, my mom says something, I'm like, oh, you look nice today. I'm like, sure, mom, thanks. You know, you always say that. But if somebody who counts, you all of a sudden feel kind of embarrassed to, you know, somebody who wouldn't compliment you normally who's giving this so by someone who counts you mean someone that you esteem to be special yeah, or important yeah. okay like um a, a cute guy or your <laughs> best friend's yes, mom exactly. or something yeah. someone that you uh, treasure their opinion mm-hmm. okay so that would be a sign that you fear your own success <sighs> okay. yeah so um it, it, you also other ways are that you are afraid of wanting things too much so you're afraid of reaching too high you're you feel like you can't set goals that are going to lead you to somewhere better. Um, When you are afraid to ask other people for help, you avoid conflict, um, you can't stick to your own decisions. So kind of this whole idea that you're just afraid that something will go right. But really, I think in something going right, that something will go wrong. We talked about this before the show that we're not really afraid of our fear necessarily. And in a situation like this, we're more afraid that on our way to success, we're going to fail in some way or another. If that has to do with our relationships, if that has to do with just not succeeding the first time, then we'll have to try and try again. Or if we have to go through something that'll be really hard, but that all, all of that will keep us from doing the things that will end up making us most successful. Wow. So have you, you've heard that quote by uh, Marion Williamson, right? 
that our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. Yes, I have heard that one. And, and everyone uh, gives credit to someone else. I can't even remember who that someone else is now um, <laughs> because I've worked it into my head that it actually is her who said that. But I used to think that was silly. But according to what you're saying, that's very much more common than we realize. Yeah, and I think so. And I've, I've thought about that quote a lot. I, th- I think it's interesting and I've had to kind of evaluate it with what I, I do myself. But I don't know. I, I'm always afraid that if something goes right, what next? Like what wrong thing, that bad thing next, or yeah, what like, good thing next? <laughs> what my thing is, I always feel like my life has gone pretty well so far. I've done some cool things with my life. I'm doing fine. I have a great job. I go to school. Like it's all the things I wanted to be doing at this point in my life. And I just wonder when that's all going to crash and burn because I feel like that's inevitable. But I think it's just that same thing. We're afraid that now that I've reached the success point. What now? Like, so you fear we're going to have to, yeah, we're, we're going to have to do more. I mean, you you can't just stay, you can't stay on that plateau. You're going to have to do more. You're going to have to do less. Or you're going to fail in some way. And so I think what it all comes back to is that we have to be careful about what, how we define success. If we define success as something that we achieve every day by doing the things that we're supposed to and that we want to do, and you know, we inch towards that goal. That Dr. Babel talked about that that the small steps. And looking for the small steps are so much more helpful than looking at that huge step that we want to get to. Because once, if we're only reaching for the huge thing, we're inevitably going to fall somewhere along the way. But if we are constantly looking like, I was proud of myself because I got to work on time today. And <laughs> that was really great. And so I was excited about that. And I counted that as a success. But if I had looked you know, forward in the future and I'm like, well, I'm only going to be successful if I'm a big time movie producer, which is what I'd love to do with my life. But Obviously, that's too far ahead for me to... For today. Yeah, for today. I, I can't exactly achieve that goal today, and I am definitely going to fail on that goal today. But I can get to work on time, and I can come here and talk with you and do a show, and I feel like that's successful. But if I were looking too far ahead, then I wouldn't feel successful at all. You know, that is beautiful. I love that because you're exactly, you're exactly right. You could be successful every day. Right. You could be successful if you just plan on smiling at someone or being yeah, kind definitely. to someone <laughs> on your way to being a big movie producer. Yeah, there we go. I love it. I love it. That quote that we were talking about is um, Marion Williamson's. And she says, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. So you can look. There's way, There's more to it. You can look it up online. But I love what you said, Merit. It's beautiful. Thank you. All right. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. We are tackling fear of success today. We'll be right back with more after this brief break. A new way to get an injection, not from one needle, but from hundreds, maybe thousands. And it won't hurt. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. Maybe you're one of those people who are afraid of getting a shot at the doctor's office. We have some good news for you. Maybe. It's a new way to deliver medicines to the body, but instead of one large needle, it's more like a miniaturized bed of nails, hundreds, perhaps thousands of microscopic nanoneedles with a tailored payload of medicine. Researchers at North Carolina State University created the new device by growing nanofibers of carbon on an aluminum base, embedding them in a flexible membrane, and etching away the base material. What remains after the base is etched away is something like a flexible carpet or sheet of tiny hypodermics. Coating these tiny spikes with customized medicines, the membrane could be run into tight spaces and expanded to embed the medicine directly into cell walls of the brain or other organs with high precision. 
These nano-injectors might someday become a replacement for hypodermic vaccinations. Instead of a shot, imagine getting a bandage-like sticker to wear on your arm, with hundreds of needles so tiny your skin nerves can't even feel them. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. There are several ways to listen to BYU Radio. You can tune in to Sirius XM Channel 143. You can catch the live stream on byuradio.org. And now you have our newest option for listening, the BYU Radio app. Our iOS app is free and has access to the live stream and the program schedule. So get on your iPhones and iPads and download the free BYU Radio app now. Talk about good. Welcome back to the Matt Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Kim Power Stilson. Well, Matt is in sunny San Diego. I just like saying sunny San Diego. It's just a fun phrase, right? Sounds like a postcard. It sounds like a postcard. I love the ocean, and unlike Ben, I'm not afraid to have my feet swim with the fishes. I'm okay up to about, like, knee level, and then (laughs) beyond that. So if you wanted to be a scuba diver, like your Jacques Cousteau, you would probably have a long way to go. I, I did go um, snorkeling once in Hawaii and the uh, I saw an eel while I was doing it and that was I was that was about it. That's pretty That's brave. That you faced your fears really well. Yeah, I I, I am quite brave. I like to think. <laughs> okay, so what what are things maybe um, people out there listening fear? I mean, we've talked about everything today and some great solutions. By the way, drbabble.com, she she talks about things uh, that you can do solutions. So we, we didn't get to cover everything. But what about um, things people could really apply in their life? I think all of us single college aged people probably fear <laughs> dating. That's like a huge thing in our lives. But, you know, it's something. And, or that, not a thing at all or, in some of our lives. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've got a girlfriend? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. It's, Not at the moment, Again, no. single college days. <laughs> single college Emphasis days. Yes. on the single. No, but Capital it's kind of a big S thing, especially, single. I think, in college. Like, first of all, you have just ridiculous amounts of pressure to be in a relationship. And then second of all, the people who you interact with change every four months. So there's, like, with no way to... With semesters, right? Yes. Okay. So every semester, you constantly meet new people, and then it's, you know, whatever relationship, whatever that girl sitting next to you in class you had with her, it's, like, gone. And Bryce can't, you know, talk to people. So. I can't. If it's, unless unless we start off with something philosophical. Sorry, I can't stick with it. No, it's not that bad. <laughs> but but things like... Are you afraid of fear? You could start off with that. <laughs> yeah. What, what is fear? That's your first what date material? Yeah. Hey, hey, you know, go big or go home. That's right. <laughs> no, uh, things like being around college kids and just seeing like relationship disasters left and right and just like how that wreaks havoc on someone's you know situation and their you know academic career and their job um a little trepidation on my part when it's you know oh i could hop into that world or i could just you know keep going how i'm going can't be that bad it's i'm not dead yet so (laughs) well and they say change brings success but only if you're willing to embrace that change and that's the the, what you're saying is you could keep going the way you're going or you could see an opportunity and embrace it or not and sometimes it seems like or not is 
at least safer. This, I don't know. I don't this, know about better. Safer. This goes into. I have this whole theory about college. Like, there's a cycle that happens in college every semester. Mary kind of talked about it. Where, like, at the beginning of the semester, there's like two weeks where everyone's like meeting new people and like going to all these parties with all these new people that they've never met before and like hanging out and trying to date. And then after two weeks, like everyone who is going to like pair off or become couples does, and everyone who didn't just goes back to their old friends. <laughs> <They> just, <So>. <laughs> well, <laughs> I jumped in. Yeah. Whatever. The time has passed. Yeah, it starts all over again in three months. So yeah. I'll just go into hibernation for the winter and come back. Okay, well, believe it or not, I've been there. It was a long, long, long time ago. Brady Bunch era. 25 reunion, your reunion coming up from Brigham Young University. But I had a lot of friends who, who suffered the same problem. We had semesters. We had that same fear. And so we uh, started organizing group blind dates. Now, that's one of the biggest fears people have is blind dates. Actually, I love those. Oh, I okay, love good. those. Yeah, because actually, I actually went on a blind date no this weekend. It no at fun. all to me. But. Well, it's kind of a... When you've been single as long as I have, you sort of stop. How do I phrase this? You stop caring. Uh, that's the word I'm going for, but I'm looking for something else. You stop caring so much. Mothers, so, if you have cute daughters, turn off. <laughs> well, it comes. What it comes down to is, at a blind date, there's really no reason for me to be fake. There's no reason for me to try and like maintain. But you have to make small talk on a first date. You can blind date, or you can start off with something really philosophical. And if no one bites. <laughs> Whatever. Like, it's not like I've been trying to build something with this girl for two or three months. Okay, that's what I want to talk about, right? So did you notice what he said? He's like, okay, she doesn't bite first. I'm going to give her a chance. She doesn't bite first chance. But I have a solution that I use that allowed me to set up 20 couples, right? And, and that got married. So, and that's the three chance rules. Wait, say that again. 20 couples 20 set couples up? I set up that got married. And, and for, except for one, well, anyway, I told you. <laughs> anyway, so so twenty couples are happily married um, because of this three these three little rules that have to do with small talk and conversation and facing your fears. So should we end with that? Yeah, I yeah, want to know what that is. You just like no. me like no because so, we definitely need Bryce those secrets. Bryce doesn't care, but Ben and Mary do. <laughs> okay, well that's enough listeners for me. So, so this is it. You give them three chances. So if you throw a thing out about Shakespeare or something deep about throwing pencils into the ceiling tiles and they don't bite, then what do you do? Well, if you're Bryce, you go home. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we're gonna. I'm gonna challenge you, Bryce's challenge, the Bryce challenge, your Bryce's right challenge. This is for you. You give them three chances. So if you you ask a question, and within those chances, you have to ask three questions and listen to the three answers. So nine questions. So not you've got nine, nine questions. Po- potential inter socially fear causing interactions, but that gives people a chance to warm up and to break the ice and to get to know them. And you have to listen, right? And here's the catch with the questions. The question that you ask. The, the second and third question have to be related to the answers to the questions. What happens if you can't get them to give you three chances well, or then- two or one? <laughs> well, that might be a little different because what I did is I set them up on a blind date. So we actually did a date where we had 10 women and 10 men. We went out on a blind date and we actually – people switched actually because they didn't get the answers they wanted from that person, which so was So it was like fine. speed dating. Well, you know, it wasn't around then. So. It was like a contained You actually speed invented dating. speed dating. You should I have did. patented that I, before it became I popular. I totally invented speed dating. But the fun thing was is that you heard them asking questions. So questions like, okay, so what are you in in school? Well, they'd say accounting and the person was like – Okay, so what, what draws you to accounting numbers? You know, asking questions that related to the answer. And out of that, people found their matches. And here was the interesting thing. A lot of these marriages and date connections didn't happen on the first interaction. 
or the second, but the third. Most of these 20 marriages happen after the third interaction or the ninth, you know, seventh to ninth question. So it's either third or three strikes you're out or third time's a charm. That's what I'm getting here. That's right. Perfect. Absolutely. Well said. So are you willing to try it? Oh, absolutely. That's not hard. Are his fingers crossed? No. (laughs) (laughs) I got them right here. So that's just a way to overcome that I found people could overcome fear is that they would have this agenda. I need to ask these questions and listen and formulate questions in response to their answers. And it makes for great conversations. And I've actually taught my kids that. And they are told, you know, their teachers say, oh, they're such good listeners. Oh, they're excellent conversationalists. Well, they're not. They have, you know, the three to nine kind of ratio. <laughs> the real, yeah, they're, they're giving you three chances. I mean, yeah. they just haven't burned their three <laughs> chances yet. And so they think they're, you know, really great listeners. Yeah, if they're listening intently, it's because they're wondering what to ask, you know, for the next thing. But it works. It works. So there's the challenge. If you're, you have a little fear of dating or fear of having success while dating or success in an elevator, try this. Give it a try. Three strikes you're out. Or third time's a charm. Third time's a charm. And in these cases, third time was a charm. Now, I did set up more this than 20 like couples. sounds like a good book but... title. You should I know, you write no, that down. I, just, I just have a new book. I don't want to go into another one yet. But yes, <laughs> I'll, I'll work on that. So I thought that was really interesting today. You know, fears. Fears. Everyone has a fear of something. No one is, um, you know, exempt from having a fear. And, uh, right? I mean... We all have some kind yeah, of fear. Yeah, we, we all do, yeah. And, I mean, and they're all different, too, which is interesting. Like, my fear is different from Bryce's fear, from is different from Merritt's. Like, we all have our own things. It's kind of what makes us individuals. Which is great. So, But we all have a solution, and that is to take it from a different angle, a different perspective, which is what Dr. Babel said. I love that idea. That, and it's not, always, um, it's not always something. It's a personal. It's a physiological thing. We can't always, it, you know, our grandma maybe gave it to us. So, so this has been a great show. Are we about out of time? Okay, this is the Matt Townsend Show. I was happy to fill in today. Thanks for listening on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.